Well, as, uh, as Sean was working on all of this, I was thinking to myself, man, I wish we could just take a battery and put it in my voice. And we could just change it out. It'd be great. But unfortunately, our bodies don't work that way. So y'all pray for me and pray that I can get through the sermon. I feel fine all as well. It's just my voice is a bit out. And I got no battery to make it better. So uh, we're going to trust that the Lord will get us through this passage. We're here in First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 17 down to 20. And so if you're new, first off, uh, welcome. My name is Nathan. One of the pastors here, it's my joy to walk you through the Bible. It's our practice here to open up the Bible and let Christ's word be the authority. So I and we have to submit to him by submitting to whatever he says. It's a really important point and a really important thing to evaluate in choosing churches that we're not setting the agenda. Christ is, and we're coming up underneath that. And so uh, we, we just take the next passage down. And so we've been working this through for about a month, month and a half. And here we are in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. And what Paul's going to talk about is he's going to talk about what we just sang. When with Christ we stand in glory. Okay, so I want you to get in your mind that moment Christ returns. We're standing before his glory. What's going to be your boast? That's what Paul's going to talk about. Here he is. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says this in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, Greek would have us to see brothers and sisters there. But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He's referencing a local church. That you there is in the plural form. You, the church, are not you, our glory and our joy. So let's evaluate this claim. Three points this morning. Here's the first. What is Paul's glory and joy? Paul's, and we would say Silas and uh, also Silvanus and Timothy. What is their glory and joy? All right, now context is really important. That's always the case when we're studying the Bible. But we know from Acts chapter 17... Uh, we read about the planting or the starting of this church. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they helped plant this church. Uh, it probably happened less than six months of this letter. So it's a very new church. They were driven out, Paul and the boys. They're driven out of the city due to persecution. They're preaching the gospel, and they're driven out of the city. They go on down to Berea, and Berea has some more Thessalonians run all the way down there to drive them out. And they go down to Athens, and eventually they go to Corinth. But they're driven out of the city because of their preaching of the gospel. But this, go- but this gospel church is formed. And the fact is, is that because Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, because they left, more than likely, what's happening here is that uh, some of the enemies of the gospel are saying, Paul doesn't love you to the church. Paul doesn't care about you. He was just out to kind of get a little crowd, get a little glory. Look, he's gone. He's not even here. That's the context. 
And so at this point of the letter, we've been studying it. Paul has just finished defending the authenticity of his ministry and his love for the church. He says a couple things that's worth recalling. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. He says to them, we didn't seek any glory from people. But instead, chapter 2, verse 8, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. This church had become very dear to him. So in our passage, Paul is going out of his way to pile on words here in verse 17 down to 20, to go pile on words to help communicate to them that we're not not with you because we don't love you. We do love you. We are real. We do love you. Look what he says there in verse 17. He says that they were torn away in person, not in heart. Now that word for torn away is where we get our word orphan. It's the same word, orphan. So he's saying we were like orphan parents, right? He'd already, he's already talked. Look back in chapter 2 earlier that you see in verse 8, he referenced that they were like mothers. In chapter 11, they were like a father. And so here he continues the family imagery by saying that we were like orphan parents, that when we had to go away, you were like our orphan kids. And now we've been torn away from you like our kids. We miss you. Look at the language there again. He says they endeavored the, the more eagerly with great desire not to you know, do a FaceTime call with them or Zoom with them or text with them, but to be face-to-face. And he, Paul, even goes out of his way. He says, because we wanted to come to you. And Paul goes out of his way. We can see here that Paul writing is, Paul's writing this. Because he said, I, Paul, again and again. I kept wanting to. I so want to go back again and again. But he says, but Satan hindered us. Now, we don't know how Satan hindered them. But regardless, it's a good reminder, guys, that Satan hates the spread of the gospel and the good of the church. He hates it. Satan hates the gospel. He hates the churches that are trying to protect that gospel. And there's all kinds of things Paul tells us that he's doing to try to prevent its spread. That was true then, still true today. But regardless, look down there in verse 17 and 18. Paul is summarizing his grief that they are not together. And from the core of his being, he is desperately, eagerly desirous to get back together with him. They are separated in person, but not in heart. He keeps thinking about him. He wants to be with him. So much so, as we'll see next week in chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 5, Paul gets so heartsick for being away from this fresh little new church that he loves and poured into for about a month. He was willing to send Timothy back, be alone from his brother Timothy, send him back just to check on how their faith was doing. Think about that next week. But the deep love and affection that Paul had for this church is profound. So much so, Paul goes on to say to this freshly planted church, what is his boast before the return of Christ? Christ comes back What's his boast? He goes on to say the hope. He's referencing as just hope or join a crown of boasting before the Lord's coming. And his answer is, what is it? Jesus comes back. There he is standing in front of the glory of Christ. And he says, what is our hope? What is our glory? What is our joy? And Paul says, is it not you? Is it not you, this church, this little church? Is it not you? 
in a moment we'll think more about what this means. I'm sure some of you have some questions. But let's just pause for a moment and appreciate and be instructed by these men's, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, be instructed by these men's love for a local church. So when we think about the church, my guess is few of us would think about it this way. Just this love and longing to be with them. Some of us think nothing of being away from the church, uh, our church home for weeks on end. We think nothing of it, some of us. In our more mobile society, we might think of uh, we might think little of being a part of as many as two or three or four churches over the span of five years, barely even remembering those churches after we're away from them. And even when we are at those churches, many, of, many more of us might be so thinly connected to the local church body that you could barely reference just a handful of people you ever shared a meal with. And yet for Paul, it's just been a few months And he's feeling like an orphan parent from them. He's been so torn away from the church, longing to be back with this church. Some of you are saying, Nathan, those are poor comparisons. This is Paul. But friends, I don't think it is a poor comparison. When you read about the life of the church in the New Testament, or you read stories of churches up until, say, 100 years ago, before the invention of the automobile and the airplane, and uh, disposable income. Before that, you find churches where people's lives were wed together in such meaningful ways that it was natural for them to be buried in the churchyard. Not just because that was convenient, but it was where they met Jesus and did life with Jesus' people. Now, of course, that's not to say that church life was better in the by and by. More so than it is to say that we have not new but unique pressures on us that may make Paul's words here about missing the church that may seem a bit odd to us. Or maybe you're listening to this thinking, not only is it odd to me thinking of the church in such affectionate terms, maybe even you don't want it. But as we will see, this should not be the case for the Christian. So let's see what Paul means. What does he mean exactly when he says that this local church is the missionary team's boast before the coming of the Lord? What does he mean by this? Well, to begin with, we need to mark this out. To begin with, when he talks about the coming of the Lord, he's referencing the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back, when he returns. Right? Christians believe that Jesus came from heaven, took on flesh, died for sin, rose for sin three days later, 40 days, taught, ascended into heaven, sends the Spirit, and now we await his return to judge the living and the dead. So this is what he means when he's talking about coming before the Lord, standing before him, this return. When, as Jesus says at the end of the Bible, he will come and come soon to judge the living and the dead and take his wife home to heaven. When that happens, all of us will have to stand before Christ's eternal glory. We will all have to stand before his eternal glory and give an answer. What was Paul's? Paul's, Silas's, Timothy's, their boasts will be in this church that they planted. Now, if any of you are familiar with the teaching of Scripture, some of you are going... Wait a minute, shouldn't his answer like be Jesus, right? Some of you may even know Galatians 6, right? We boast only on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So some of you, this may be a little confusing or a little odd. But guys, let's remember not only the fact that Paul has just said that he never sought their glory 
or their money. He just said that back in chapter 2. But also remember in verse 13, he says that he thanks God for the fact that they received the gospel. He didn't point to himself. In other words, Paul has literally just, right here, he's literally just finished saying that he didn't seek to get anything out of them. And that he understands that what fruit they are now experiencing, he says, is of the Lord's grace and mercy. And is not because of them. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9, he says, Our salvation and even our sanctification is not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Right? That's Ephesians 2 9. So whatever Paul means by saying that the Thessalonian church is their glory and their joy before their coming of the Lord, it can't mean that they are, bo- they are their boast in the sense that they are the reason why they should be able to stand blamelessly before the Lord at his return. It can't mean that. It can't mean that like, all right, here's now, this is what makes us worthy. It can't mean that. He's gone out of his way to say that's not what the case is. So that's what he doesn't mean. What does he mean, Nathan? Let's think about that. What Paul means here, Paul is saying that the establishment of this church, the maturity of the Thessalonian church, is the evidence of what he did with the grace of God that God gave him to minister the gospel. This is the evidence, he's saying, this is the evidence of what the God gave him grace to be a light to the Gentiles, and this is the evidence that God gave him, that he so poured into these people that he is now, this is an important point, that he is now having poured it into them, he's now giving it back to Jesus. Back to the groom. Here's your bride. This is what I did with her, Jesus. That's what he's referencing. In other words, if God, if we can kind of put a kind of illustration of this, if God, let's say, graciously gave Paul wood, a hammer, and nails, Paul made the boast, made the most beautiful house he could in order to glorify Christ by building this house. God gave him the wood. God gave him the nails. He gave him the ability. He, said he would put this house together to give it back to Jesus. That's the illustration. Not that he would boast and look how good I am. And so because my construction was so good, will you let me in? No. But to say, this is what I did with this is evidence of the fact that I used the wood and the nails and the hammer. That's what he means by boasting in the Thessalonians as his glory and joy before the coming of Christ. He's saying that they are the hope, the joy, and the crown of their boast because they are the fruit of his ministry. They are validation of gospel fruit from a gospel ministry. A couple of cross-references to kind of solidify this. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 1.12. Where Paul says, for our boast is this. Another language of boasting. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely towards you. See what he's saying there? He's saying that our, we behaved in a particular way by the grace of God to you. And he's writing, by the way, to another local church. Or he can think about that passage that many of you know well, Ephesians 5. 25 to 29. Paul says here, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. In other words here, what he's saying is, as a husband is to reflect the ministry of Christ with his wife by nourishing her, cherishing her, washing her in the water of the word, so as to present her back to Jesus in the glory of Christ for his glory. And as we see, Jesus did the same thing with his church, right? So that he might present the church to himself. So in the same way, so Paul's boast before the Lord is how God's grace was used in his life to establish and strengthen a church, nourishing her, cherishing her, so as to present her back to Jesus in the fullness of splendor. This is how I used you, God. You gave me grace, mercy to minister. And I did it. I spoke it in these churches for him and I poured into them. And so now here she is. I did the best I could. No boast of mine. All you, you did this. Here's my boast right here, that I did something with that grace and mercy that you gave me. And I'm giving it back to you. I'm not keeping it. I'm giving it back to you, Jesus. The glory, he says, and the joy of the church. That's verse 20. In so doing, gives glory and joy to Christ, the head of the church. A glory and a joy, by the way. And of course, yes, Paul will enjoy himself. And so that then, that helps us think about Paul. Maybe you're asking, second question, what about Jesus? What was Jesus' boast? What was his glory and joy in his ministry? We've said that Paul's glory and joy is two things. Christ and the good of his church. That's his glory and joy. That's Paul, Silas, and Timothy's. Secondly, what about Jesus' glory and joy? Here we go. Well, friends, in the same way as Christ was torn away from his bride, the church, in person, not in heart, Jesus endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see her face to face. He wanted to come to her But in this case, as we think about this gospel, what Jesus wanted, while Satan tempted, he did not hinder Jesus from coming to get her. Think about that passage again in Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church, wanted to be with her face to face. He so gave himself up for her, gave himself up for us, Restoration Church. Right? Because local churches are expressions of the universal church. Why? He gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that, right? So that, why did he do it? Why did he lay his life down? So that Jesus, look at the text of Ephesians 5. You can go there and look at it. So that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor. Jesus loved his wife, the church, to the point of death. He was despised and rejected by men. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced, not for his transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we sinners are healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth as he went like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before he was silent. Why? So that he might have you, Christian. 
so that he might have us, Restoration Church, presented back to himself in the fullness of splendor. He so wanted to be with you face to face. He's so eager, longing to be with you. He became as nothing so that we who are as nothing might become something. He set his glory aside so that we might know something of his glory. He was mocked and murdered among men so that we sinners and rebels might become his everlasting glory and joy. The church. We even read in Isaiah 62, 3 to 5, it speaks of his wife in this way. Take a listen. Isaiah 62. You will be a crown of beauty. It's talking about the church, people. You will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Beloved, Christ's boast, his glory and joy was his wife, the church, his body, of which he is the head. From heaven he came and sought her. Because he wanted to be with her face to face. He so eagerly longed. He set his glory aside that though we were ugly, he became own ugly so that we might participate in his glory. And in this way then, Jesus' glory and joy would be the same as Paul's. Maybe it's a better way of saying it. Paul's glory and joy was the same of Jesus's. Only it wouldn't be limited, as in this case with Paul, wouldn't be limited to one local church. Jesus' glory and joy, right, is in all the churches because they are all connected to the one universal church. And so as Paul couldn't stand it any longer, also, as we read in Second or 1 Timothy 2, or sorry, verse, 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, as Paul couldn't stand it any longer and he sent Timothy, so Jesus couldn't stand it any longer and sent his spirit to be with us, that we might uh, in that way be reminded of the love of Christ until we're finally with him again, seeing him face to face. But then we ask the question, is this Jesus' only glory and joy? The answer to that is no. Remember, for Paul's glory and joy, it was Christ and his church. And so far I've said, what about Jesus? Well, clearly, same as Paul or Paul, same as Jesus. It's the church. Is there more things that Jesus gloried in? Yes, of course. See behind me in John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. Here, this is the beginning of the high priestly prayer when Jesus is speaking to his father. Here it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Why? That the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. What did Jesus do? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Paul's boast was the glory and the joy of Christ and the glory and the joy of the church who is Christ's body and bride. And here we see Christ's boast was his father's glory and the church's glory. Right, Jesus' ministry was done to the glory of the Father and the glory of the church. And in so doing, he too, Jesus, shared in the glory, not out of merit. It's important. But out of the love of the Father that he already had for the Son before the world began. And as for the church, in Jesus' glory and joy in the church, look at how that prayer ends. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, he's referencing his disciples. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, all the ones that have been given to Jesus because of their faith in Christ, I desire all those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory that you have given me because you love me. When? Not because of what Jesus did and accomplished in the gospel. No, but before you love me before the foundation of the world. That's the glory, guys, that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 2.20. It's the same glory. It's not some different glory. It's directly related. The glory of Christ working through the ministry of Paul led to the birth of a church in Thessalonica. And that church will be, the full, will be full of the glory of Christ as they reflect the glory of Christ when they are presented back to him upon his return. And yes, Paul shares in that glory. In other words, glory going all around. Glory everywhere. And so the boast of Paul for glory and joy is Christ and the church. And the boast of Christ for glory and joy is the Father and the church. Third question. What's your boast? What's our boast? Christ returns. Get that moment in your head. Christ returns. You're standing before the infinite glory of God in Christ. There he is. What's your boast? What's our boast as a church? Well, friends, is there any other answer? Is it not Christ and his church? I mean, think about it. Think about that moment. Conjure up in your mind. Think about that. There he is before us in all of his splendor, and there we are standing before him in the fear of the Lord. What will be our crown of boasting? What will be our glory and our joy? What will, what will we appeal to in order to specify what we've done with the Lord's grace and ministry to us? In other words, as we stand before Jesus and he wants to know what return we have to boast in, given his graciously entrusting us to us so many things, what will it be? What will be the boast? Well, imagine for that, in that moment, think about this. Imagine in that moment we answered with the American dream. Here it is, Lord. My house, my car, my, my passport. What if we were to boast in our financial worth? Look, Lord, look, Lord, look at all my money. What if we were to boast our wardrobe. Look, Lord, look at how nice I dress. Look at my shoe collection. Or what if we boasted in the people that really revere us? Look, Lord, look at all these people that really like me. Look how many followers I have on social media. Do you honestly think 
that that's going to be our boast. Do you see how small those things are in comparison to the glory of God, the face of Christ? Guys, that sense of purpose you know is real. Even non-Christian this morning, you know that sense of purpose is real. It's probably why you came here this morning. That sense of purpose is real and it's bound up in these two realities. Living for the glory of Christ as we give ourselves to the glory of the church as well as our families. For this end, we were made. Herein is our glory and joy. We were not made to achieve our own glory, which, by the way, is why it seems so elusive to us. Right? We follow, right? We follow the patterns of the world. We do what they tell us. Uh, we, we we love what they love. We we get the things they tell us we should get, and it all doesn't. It all seems like broken cisterns. I was meeting with the with the interns at the at the Iglesia Bíblica with the Spanish speakers. So many of them just trying to scratch and claw. To make a life. To get the life. This is the thing I was talking to him about. They're scratching and clawing to get the life that I have. And I said back to those interns. I'm telling you glory's not in that. Tell them that. I can't do it because I can't speak Spanish. You tell them that. It's not in all the stuff the world tells us. Right? The glory of the world is like sand in our hands. It slips through. We pick it up again. And it just slips through our fingers. We keep picking up the glory of the world. And it keeps slipping through. It fades so quickly. And it seems so cheap in comparison to the glory of Christ and our standing before him. There's a better glory. There's a better joy. It's a solid joy. It's a solid glory worth giving your life to. The eternal glory and joy of Christ and of the bride, the body, the church. And as you have families, those are critical too. As scripture makes that so clear. And that glory and that joy, guys, that's a stable joy. That's a solid joy and glory. It is unending and worth giving all of your life to. And so just a general observation then. The degree to which we give ourselves to pursuing this glory and this joy, that is the glory of Christ, the good of his church, our families, the degree to which we give ourselves to pursuing this glory and this joy is the degree to which we will know our great end and find contentment. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but the degree to which you give yourself to the glory and the joy of Christ amongst his people and the specific familiar responsibilities the degree to which you say, that's my glory, that's my joy, is the degree to which you will find that purpose, that contentment that you so desperately long for. And therefore, the inverse is also true. The degree to which you distance yourself for living for the glory of Christ in the church is the degree to which you will distance yourself from joy. Three brief applications. Husbands, Christians, and those that are not Christians. That's what we'll think about. Husbands and those that aspire to be husbands. I'm putting you in here because we talked about Ephesians 5. And, right, men, we could use a swift kick in the backside every once in a while, right? Husbands and those who aspire to be husbands. Your glory and your joy are not found 
and your wife satisfying all of your desires. Your glory and your joy are not found in working longer hours so you can make more money and buy more stuff. Your glory and your joy, according to Ephesians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 2, your glory and your joy are not found in endless scrolling on your phone as your wife takes care of your children. Your glory and your joy are not even found in more date nights and vacations, fine as those things are. Your glory and your joy is found, as Ephesians 5 makes so clear, in presenting your wife back to Jesus in the fullness of splendor. Nourishing her. Cherishing her. Establishing her. Washing her in the water of the word as you love her with the sacrificial love of Christ. When you think about it that way, right, we might then understand when after Jesus talks about marriage in Matthew 19, when the disciples say back, well, then who wants to get married, right? So it's good. The more that you husbands love her, as Christ loves her, praying for her, serving her, forgiving her, listening to her, yes, even suffering for her, dying for her. In this is your glory and joy. And this, need I remind you, is what you promised when you married her. She is God's grace to you. And she should be your crown of boasting upon Jesus' return when you give him, when you give her back to him. I might add, insofar as the Lord allows, same with your children, if the Lord gives you children. Try and consider that moment when Christ, in the fullness of his glory, stands before you, and he says your name, Ray, Connor, Sean, John, Dave. Try to think about that moment when Jesus says, I love you, son. I gave you a wife. So what would you do with her? I gave you all of these graces. I gave you all these spiritual gifts. I gave you all these commands. I gave you a church to help you. Right? I, gave you I gave you a really big book to help you know. Right? And, I, and I empowered you by the power of the Spirit to love her. So, how, so how'd it go? What if we, right, that moment, we ought to be able to say, look, Jesus, I'm such a wreck. I've failed in a thousand ways. But I love her. I'm so thankful for her. Here she is. I tried prayed for her, taught her the Bible. I made sure we got to church. And, you know, I did whatever else. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Nourishing her and cherishing her as you would your own body. Because who hates his own body? The church is Jesus' glory and joy. He lived and died and lives again to beautify the church. And so, brothers, may you, as the representative groom in the relationship, do the same. I've only heard it in 14 years of pastoral ministry a handful of times. But I can tell you for almost 21 years of marriage, the times in which I've appealed to my role as an authority in the home, as I've appealed to that, the amount of times I've done that, I could count on one hand, and I did it with fear and trepidation. My job is to love her and to serve her and present her back to Jesus as best I can. Christians, point two. This would be husbands, wives, singles, any one of you that are in Christ. I want to try to get you to think about that moment too. Christ returns, fullness of glory. There he is, standing right in front of you. 
And Jesus says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I love you so much. I died for you. I'm so glad you're mine. Here we are, face to face. I eagerly long to see you. And I gave you grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. What'd you do with it? We, what are you going to say in that moment? What's going to be your boast? That is, God mercifully again gave you hammer and nails and woods in the form of spiritual graces and gifts. He gave every Christian that. Specifically, the gifts and graces afforded you, as we read, in the building up of his body, the church. But he understands, yes, you're going to do all kinds of things in your job. You're going to do all kinds of things like as you scatter from here. But specifically, Jesus loves, he says, I'm building the church. That's Paul's glory and joy. That seems to be Jesus' glory and joy. You read Revelation 19. That he, What's he want? He wants to get back face to face with his wife, right? And he comes back to her. So what would you do with it in the church? What's your boast? What have you been laboring to beautify in her? In the body of Christ that you will point to as Paul points to the Thessalonians. What are you going to point to? Where, where are you going to say, here it is, Lord. You gave me mercy. I took that mercy and I just tried to help this little jacked up church called Resurrection Church. What are you going to point at? Here's where my joy was. Here's where my glory was. Thank you, Jesus. What are you going to point at? Now the point, guys, as you do that exercise, as you evaluate it, the point here is not to evaluate volume. It's to evaluate faithfulness. Faithfulness. That is, love towards Christ by loving Christ's body and bride, the church. In other words, don't think about the amount of work you've done in the church. More so than that faithful effort. The heart motive of finding glory and joy in the church. Paul's glory and joy is found in his giving himself to the church. He suffered for them, right? The Thessalonians, he suffered for them and a bunch of others. He suffered for them. He nursed them, Paul said, like a, like a mother. He charged them like a father. He longs for them like an orphan mother and father separated from their kids because, chapter 2, verse 8, because they became dear to him. So it doesn't mean, I want to be this clear, it doesn't mean you guys need to go out and plant churches and be pastors. And I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that. But God did save you, Christian, through Christ. And, you, and he gave you his spirit so that you would cry to him, Abba, Father. So that you could know and enjoy Christ as King and Lord, as heavenly husband, as friend. And he, Christian, equipped you with his spirit, with both common graces and specific graces. In other words, there are things, right, you all know, there are things that Joey can do, I can't do, right? He's given us all those things. So that you might do the same thing that he and Paul did. Find your glory and your joy in the church. Where's that happening? Where's that going? And I don't, I, I literally, I don't mean to be, Critical right here. I'm literally just that. All I'm doing is asking the question. Let you, you, I'll let you guys fill in the blanks. This is not me like pastor going, yeah, now's the time I'm going to get them. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just asking the question. I want you to think. It's my job as your pastor to get you ready for that day and that moment when you have to stand before Jesus. I'm just trying to get you to think about it. How, how's that going? Where is it you are like a mother? Gently nursing the church to health and maturity. Where is it you're like a father charging and encouraging? Where are you not only sharing the gospel, but your own lives? So that these people, 
that are the church. And man, we're a mess. By the way, can I just parenthetical statement? People say to me sometimes, you know, I don't want to, I feel bad about coming to church here at Restoration because saying like everybody kind of has it all together. Can I just tell you from the pulpit, these guys are messed up, all right? Whatever you think you see, right, don't buy it. They're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up, but we're messed up together and we're going to love Jesus together, okay? We share not only the gospel with each other, we don't only proclaim it on the, in our homes and stuff, but our own selves, Paul says. Where's that happening? Where's your longing to be face-to-face like Paul with the church, so you might present her back to Christ in the fullness of her splendor for the glory of Christ, for the good of those church members. And yes, even after all of that, not because of it, you get your glory in it too, join it too. Church family, God is pleading with you this morning to consider the day that is coming when you stand before the all-glorious King of the universe. What will be your boast towards Christ and his church? What will be your glory and your joy? Don't wait to answer that. What will you say to Jesus with a glad and happy heart? Here, Jesus, I glory in you, so I give you this church. Here's what I did with it. I prayed for her. I served her. I provided for her. So as I think back over those 14 years as a church, those 15 years in the city, I, I, I can think about Paige and Andy it served in children's ministry now for 14 years. I think they took a little break because they were birthing children. But other than that, they've been doing it the whole time. Teaching kids. Think about Catherine and Lauren. It's tough. I wasn't planning on this. Think about Catherine. Dang it. <clears throat> I'll get through this. Her voice is not helping. I think about Catherine and Lauren and Jody and David and and Melinda, which are back there right now, Whitney, Hague, and Laura, a number of others that have logged more than 10 years of serving kids. I can think about Daniel Kim and David Kim and Stephanie and Connor and Ellie and Winston who have served us in helping us sing to the Lord and sing to one another. And they come, they show up early, by the way, I don't know if you all know that. They show up here early every single Sunday to practice. And they're having conversations to try to get better to help us sing. I think about our deacons. Sean, Will, Owen, Amy, Felicity, Stephen, Frank, and Rachel. Serving the church, oftentimes without even being known, so that the elders can be devoted to preaching, to praying, and shepherding. Think about Megan Roberts, who served as a clerk of members meetings for way too long, right? Laura Ladone, Tessa, Cynthia, Travis, Cal. That have met with people who just helped them follow Jesus. That we paid for it. To the people that have hosted or led community groups for years, the Hills, the Glovers, and others. Daniel Bergener, make sure our grass gets mowed, helps make sure the uh, slides get advanced. To Joey Kraft, Ms. Dunmore, thank you, Dunmore. 
has done more spiritual material good that none of us can quantify. Didn't see glory, didn't see money, didn't see praise. Just people trying to help Jesus. People follow him. To the thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands. I was thinking about this. Elders were talking about our member, we're talking about our budget the other day. I was thinking, man, that's a whole lot of money, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've given to the work of the church to spread far and wide. You know, Luke Strymer's here. He's in Ethiopia. He didn't go out as a church planter. He's making disciples in Ethiopia. We, like, we help do that. Money coming in. There's Taylor standing in the back, right? Like helping campus outreach. A campus that really needs the gospel. You help fund that. I could go on and on. Think about that church that's meeting as we speak right now. A couple miles away. Speaking in Spanish. People coming to faith all the time. A bunch of people that need it. No other gospel-believing church we can find in Columbia Heights, speaking in Spanish, holding out the gospel. Right? We've tried to help that in a thousand other places. And so, I say with Paul, you, Restoration Church, in all of your jacked-upness are my glory and joy. When Christ returns and he asked me to present the church, he gave me charge of. I pray. On that day, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were a mess. There's a thousand things you could have done better, but you did your best. Thankful for that, Nathan. Come on in, buddy. Let's go hang out for a lifetime. So many more things we could point to. The work in Central Asia, DC 127. I mean, I could go on and on. But I want you to know, guys, this is not just my call. Some of you might be saying, well, you know, Nathan, you're a pastor, right? You signed up for that. That's true. But listen, guys, you've been called to this work too, right? Maybe I'm like a more, I don't like this example, but it's not in my notes. But like, right, maybe I'm a pinky. Right? Maybe I'm a pinky. Maybe I'm kind of, maybe a little bit more important than, say, you know, I don't the spleen. Right? But maybe, maybe you're a spleen. I'm thinking about spleen. You all know the story of my son and spleen. You can actually, I've learned, you can live without a spleen. So, anyway. <laughs> the point is, different parts of the body. Right? Different parts of the body. Some are more seen, more known, but you're all part of the body. You're supposed to be doing your part. Not because you have to. Not because Jesus is back there whipping the whip saying, get to work. No. Because we love him. We love his wife. We want to see more people be part of that body. Every Christian. So that when he returns with great joy, we can say, here, Jesus, this is what I did with her. You gave me grace, mercy, poured it out. Best I could, we go. And then after that, after you answer, then listen, Christian, like Paul, enjoy Christ's glory forever with his people. Let your love for Christ fuel your love for his church. And I want to speak just really quickly 
I know that some of you have been burned by the church. I know that. I know that you have had pastors that were First Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. I know that's some of y'all's stories. But listen, let me tell you two things, three things. First off, thank you for coming. But two more things. Let me tell you two things. First off, Jesus is not pleased with that, the way that pastors or churches were sinfully misrepresenting the gospel. Pastors that were using you to build their own platform. Jesus is not happy with that, and he will deal with that. You need to know that. It's not for us to avenge. He'll take care of it. He's not happy with it. Uh, A third thing I want to say to you, though, Christian, don't give up on the church. Jesus hasn't. He knows how many times it's been abused in wrong ways, but Jesus hasn't given up on the church. And as we see, this goes back to my sermon from a couple weeks ago. We saw a couple weeks ago, chapter 2, there are some bad pastors and bad churches, but there's some good ones. I can give you dozens of them. Which, by the way, right, if you're new to the church and you tell me, right, I live in, uh, you know, wherever, I don't know, Lorton, Virginia, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to say, well, you should come back next week. You know what I'm going to say to you? Well, let me list two or three really good churches that are closer to you. Because we're not interested in building this glory. We're interested more interested in the glory of Christ. The good of church, wherever it is you live. Last one, I'll be done. To my non-believing friend those not trusting in Christ, those maybe even you call yourself a Christian, but you're going, I've never tried to find glory in Christ and the good of his church. Non-Christians. Look at verse 20 again, 1 Thessalonians 2.20. You see there that there is a future day that is coming that motivates Paul's glory and joy now. You see it? There's a future day coming motivates Paul now. My guess is you don't think about that day much. You need to start doing that. Christ promised us he will return. He's made good on every single promise. And he taught us that we will stand before him. And so I'm asking you, what are you going to say? What are you going to boast in? What are you going to point to? Friend, it cannot be your ignorance of the gospel. You've heard it this morning. Christ has come, right? The gospel is that Jesus, fully God, fully man, never sins. And so therefore, he is uniquely able to take the penalty for the sins of all those that trust him. He then takes that on the cross, buried, rises on the third day, showing that he defeated sin and death. So there's the gospel. And Jesus' call, Mark 1, 14, 15, is for you to repent of your sins that caused him to come. Repent of sins and trust Jesus to take away your sins. And so therefore, on on that day, you cannot appeal to ignorance of the knowledge of the gospel. You can't do that. You will not be able to do that. Secondly, you're not going to be able to boast in your good works. How many, if it's good works, how how many good works do you have to do in order to be counted blameless? So don't appeal. Don't think, I'm going to boast in being a good person. That won't work. James says, makes it so clear, you, you break one sin, you break them all. Nor can your boast be good intentions. But, well, I meant good. I was going to do that thing, but I never did. I was going to really surrender to Jesus and give my life to him, but, you know, whatever else got in the way. No, as good intentions, good intentions are not good standing. And that's what you need. You need good standing. You need good standing before the glory of Christ. And the only boast you have, the only boast that you can, I'm telling you, as one of his ambassadors, imperfect ambassadors, I'm telling you, 
the only boast you can have that you'll be able to stand before the glory of Christ is by boasting in Christ. And yes, the good of the work of Christ through you in the church as Paul's doing. Boast in Christ. Paul, you'll notice, Paul does not appeal to his work in the church as his reason for good standing. He doesn't do that. He appeals to the work of the church as the evidence of his already existing good standing in Christ. And so, friend, turn from your indifference or negligence of Christ and his glory. Turn from the ways that you've disobeyed his commands and sought to build your own glory. Turn to Christ in faith. Appeal not to yourself, but to him and to his grace and mercy for your sin so that you might stand before his glory and live and know him and enjoy him forever. And yes, hang out with a bunch of crazy people like us forever. It's the work, and I want you to know that if you do that, friend, it's the work of the church to help you do that. That's our job. You make that decision. Lord willing, next week, Brandy will be up here. She's going to be baptized. You're going to love this. I love baptisms, right? And I was explaining to Brandy this week. You come up out of this baptismal waters, Brandy, guess what? You're coming into a family. We're going to walk with you. And you're going to teach us. We're going to teach you. We're going to do this together till we get home to Jesus or he comes to us. Come and join a collection of deeply flawed yet gloriously saved people. It is our intention to give our lives to Christ and the good of his people and to love our neighbors all around us until he returns or we die. And so I hope that you'll join us, non-believing friend. I hope that you'll join us, listen, by first giving yourself to Jesus and then come to us. And for the rest of us, again, I conclude with this. You members of Restoration Church, what is our glory and joy? What is our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus? Is it not you? Is it not you? So now, let's glory in Christ by planting more churches that do the same thing all over the world. And trust that he will be so pleased Christian, don't waste your life. Do not waste your life. God gave you graces. God gave you gifts. He gave you knowledge. He gave you a life. He gave you a body because he loves you. And kids, you need to know that too. Give your life to Jesus and the good of Jesus' church and love your neighbors. That will be a solid joy and glory that you can live for. Let's pray and ask him for help.